The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The new uncertainty for stocks, what it means to your money for the remainder of this year and beyond. We debate that with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Degas Wright, Josh Brown, John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I'm first going to show you what stocks are doing right now. As you know by now, they are under considerable pressure today, in large part because of the right-hand side of your screen, that hearing on the Hill today. The Fed chair is there. The Treasury secretary is there. But it's those comments from Fed chair Powell about a sped-up taper, also retiring the word transitory as it relates to inflation that really spooked stocks, caused a spike in rates. Right now, the Dow is down more than 600 points. We've taken out the low from Friday on the S&P. 4574 is where the S&P 500 currently sits. That's a loss of one and three quarters percent. So we're going to keep our eye on what's happening on the right. Our Steve Leisman is going to join us in a second. Rick Santelli is going to join us, too, on what all of this means to the way you need to be thinking about your money, the Fed, the markets and pretty much everything else. Stephanie Link, I go to you first for your reaction on what we're witnessing in the markets. It's really a double whammy. We're worried about this new variant. And now we have this change from the Fed chair today. Yeah, you highlighted it. We have a few unknowns and the market doesn't like unknowns or um, the, the new COVID strain uh, obviously is a big deal. It's a big unknown. We have now a more hawkish Fed. But I think you have to listen to what the Fed is actually telling you, what Powell is telling you. He's telling you that while we don't know about the COVID, the new COVID strain, we do know that we have higher than expected GDP and much higher than expected inflation and that they should be tapering sooner rather than expected. And I've been talking about that for, for months now. Um, so now in the next two weeks, we get a, a bunch of data. We get more details on the COVID strain. <clears throat> We also get inflation data, PPI, CPI. So if the data strain news is positive, it's a big if and it's a big, you know, fingers are crossed and you get hotter uh, CPI and PPI inflation data, I think that they should be tapering. So now you step back and you say we have to wait for more details and I'm waiting for more details. We're all waiting for more details. But if you completely wait, you're going to miss some great long-term opportunities. And then I step back even further. I say we have medicines out there that exist, that work, and more are coming. We have a very high vaccination rate in the U.S., 70%. So I don't think you're going to see closures. So that's why I do want to look for opportunities. And I have been looking for opportunities. But I've been buying a couple of names slowly, carefully, number one or number two in their industry, quality balance sheets, good free cash flow and proven management teams. And I think you can get a whole host of companies on sale right at this moment. Okay, so you bought Apple and Amex on Friday to underscore the, yep. the point that you're saying. And I hear you with Apple. I mean, it's one of the few stocks that's holding up real well today, and it's not all that far yeah. from its high. You know, Amex a little trickier. We, we just don't know what the environment's going to look like moving forward. 
You don't, but it's down 13 percent in two days. And we do know that leisure travel is better than 2019 levels. We know business travel is slow to recover, but that's a 2022 story. And I think it will be a 2022 story. In the meantime, the company is spending a ton of money this year investing in their businesses, building out customers. And I think if you get demand that comes back, which is what I'm betting on, then you're going to see operating leverage in 2022, meaning higher earnings from here. The stock trades at 17 times forward. So I'm making that bet that you are going to see a recovery and not a closure. Um, and, I, and I have a lot of reopened names, but this is definitely one of them. And that's why I'm buying small. You know, I'm adding to it on the, on the small side for yeah. now. John Ajarian, it sounds like you're in a little bit of hunker down mode um, from the notes that I read of, of yours today, that you're building a large amount of cash, mm-hmm. the most you've had now in, in several months. Yep. True, Scott. Um, it's, it's been a host of things that have triggered that. Uh, number one, we had uh, some really large moves in the VIX. Uh, the, the, the VIX call buying um, which is more or less that trader that we refer to as 50 Cent, don't know who it is, um, but bought an awful lot of February put options, um, and that was one of the hedges that I put on then, owning call options in um, the uh, uh, VIX is like a put option in the S&P, because obviously days like today, days like Friday, when you see 50% moves Friday, and 20, 25% moves already today in the VIX, um, those uh, coincide with the big drops in the market, Scott. Um, they've also been buying a lot of puts in the spiders. Uh, so, for instance, um, they were buying the uh, SPY December 23rd, the Christmas, the 465 puts. Um, those puts have already paid big dividends for the people that owned them, either as a hedge which I did, and I exited those on Friday. Should have held them a few more days, I guess, Scott. Um, The IWM, just yesterday, um, the December 10th expiration, so in other words, not this Friday, but next Friday, 215 puts. Big buying there with that index at 224 yesterday, and look at where the IWM is today. So those are the reasons that I've been raising cash. VIX, because we talk about Volume, volatility, and velocity. And we've got all three, both Friday on the holiday shortened day and today. Um, And what uh, Jay Powell said, I don't blame him. I think he's right. But what he said is also accelerating uh, the sell-off right now. Yeah. I mean, since we're on on this topic, let's just bring in Leisman and Santelli right now to kick this around. We'll hear from the other members of the committee in just a moment. But, Steve, you know, you were with us yesterday, and you're the one who suggested that because of this new news about this different strain of of COVID that the earlier taper was essentially off the table. And what we heard today was what you've characterized internally, and I think you've said it on the air as well, uh, was a big change. Yeah, uh, just to be clear about my comments, I said they could push it off to January. I didn't think it was dead. I thought there was a lot of support on the committee for it. What I didn't know at the time was that Fed Chair Powell was among those supporting it. I thought for sure he would take the easier way out here, which, Scott, it's important to note, uh, Powell went out of his way today to talk about this idea of an accelerated taper. He wasn't specifically asked about it. He's asked, what are you going to do about inflation? He brought it up. He was ready to say it. It's clear that that was part of the intention, and he laid the groundwork in his testimony. And what's different here now is that Powell seems to have embraced, A, the inflation problem being something the Fed needs to be in a position to address, and I can talk about that more in a bit. But the other thing is this notion that 
new waves of the virus are not primarily a demand problem. They're a supply problem. And it gets to this one comment in his testimony, which we talked about yesterday at 4.30 when the testimony came out, this idea that people may decide not to work and that could exacerbate the supply problem. This is Powell embracing an idea that's been on the committee, but now appears to be uh, embraced by the chairman and apparently a good portion of his committee, that more QE is not the answer to another wave of the virus. I, I do also embrace, to, to some degree, Rick's point, which I think, Rick, is that he could say whatever he wants today, uh, that it's essentially meaningless at the end of the day, Rick, because we just don't know enough about this new variant yet. We don't know if it's more dangerous. We don't know if it's more deadly. We don't know if it causes people to hunker down in the way that they're spending. We just don't know. So how can the Fed chair be so definitive on what he thinks he's going to do? It was a brilliant move. Uh, in my opinion, it was a brilliant move. I mean, he has a get out of uh, hawkish jail card free and the tide was going against him for months and months and months. You and I have been on the air. The Fed doesn't make mistakes. They just don't make accurate predictions. And listen, I get it. I used to be in the prediction business. It's not easy. But he's chairman of the Fed. It's his problem. And their prognosis on inflation, his in particular, was wrong. And I think that by coming across as going with the flow, we've had a vice chairman there. We've had other committee members there. Uh, Steve Leisman, many of us have been there, that they need to hurry up. They need to get this behind them with regard to the taper to get to the real work of raising rates. Well, by him making this move today, Judge, you're right. I, I, I'm glad that you have agreement with me. I, I'm pretty sure Steve will, too, that if it doesn't turn out and, and it's much worse on uh, the variant, of course, none of that will happen. If the variant is better, he gets a twofold sure. issue. He said he's going to discuss it at the next meeting. Doesn't mean they're going to do it, but even more. Look at the kickoff stocks would get. If the headline in a couple of days is Omicron not as bad as thought, I think you'll see a big bounce in stocks, and that works in his favor as well. It's also, Steve, I mean, you know, to some degree, why would the Fed chair sort of do what he did today? Why would he come so intent on on sending that message when he himself doesn't really know what the outcome of, of all this is going to be. And now I feel like the Fed is in a they got a real pickle here. You 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 don't want to taper into a slowdown, right? A slowdown that could be exacerbated by a new variant we don't know enough about. And then you also have to deal with more inflation induced by a new variant, which also could cause more supply chain issues, which could make inflation even worse. You know, uh, Scott, I, I think there's a possibility here that we're maybe both talking about, which is Powell made a, may, may have made a mistake here. He may have to come back uh, in a couple weeks' time if the uh, variant turns out to be really bad and create a problem uh, for the economy, a demand-side problem for the economy. He may have to come back and say, look, I, 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 we're not going to talk about accelerated taping or we're not going to do it. That's a, that's entirely a possibility. Or he may have dramatically changed his view on the right Fed response here. It may be that he's going to say, you know what, if we have a really bad variant here, I'm still going to taper and I'm going to accelerate the taper because there's really a supply, a supply problem. I'm kind of leaning to the second explanation because the first explanation uh, is that he made a bad mistake here. And that could be. But I tend to think he's had to think, think this through. What if it's bad? Well, what if it's bad anyway? 
I'm going to go ahead with the accelerated tapering. I think he had to have thought that through, Scott. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting in news in and of itself that, Steve, you, you think it, it's quite possible that the Fed chair made a mistake on, on such an important stage today, given the environment and, and you know, the new, more uncertain yeah. environment that we find ourselves in from where we were just five days ago. I, I do want to know what. what yeah. And, and go ahead. I, I want to just add, add one thing. He, he you know, be careful here because. It would not be the first time that on day one of testimony, that on day two of testimony, a Fed chair comes back on uh, uh, and, and clarifies what he said on day one. Yeah, clean it's up happened enough. before. And we'll see yeah. how this sits and do a little clean up and say, you know what, if it is bad, then we're not going to do it. He, he may need to do that or need to be asked that by, by, yeah. by a House member. Tomorrow. Clean, clean up in aisle three. Um, Josh Brown. So yeah. <laughs> in, in light of in light of all this, you know, John Ajarian raising a lot of cash. Steph's looking for opportunity to buy things that she thinks were on sale, which maybe were down a little too much on on Friday. What about you? So I I think I think what's remarkable here is how much worse when you look at individual stocks, how much worse stocks look versus the index. The SPX and the the Nasdaq are still only about three and a half percent off their highs which given the, the bloodbath that you're seeing in, in everything from recent IPOs to growth tech to cyclicals, I mean, uh, uh, retailers today are still puking. It's, it's really remarkable how well the indices are able to hold up basically on the back of, I don't know, Apple and Pfizer. Like it's, it's really a, a, a wild situation. Um, the materials and industrials are in pretty substantial pullbacks here. If you're bullish on economic growth, even if you acknowledge that this variant might be a step backward for a couple of months until we get our bearings, those stocks are probably buys. Transports have been slammed. Uh, those are probably buys. Airlines are tougher. So I don't think we could just say, like, across the board, buy them or sell them. Um, if you're bullish Disney, this stock's at 52-week lows. It's 30% off its high. You can understand why. But keep in mind, throughout Delta, Disney was able to rally because of Disney Plus. The theme park, we just said, forget it. It's a next year story. So that's a stock that could reverse substantially higher uh, if, if, in fact, the virus is not the worst thing ever. So I, I agree with all of the commenters about how much uncertainty there is. It makes sense for stocks to be behaving the way that they are. I think that's perfectly normal, perfectly natural. But one thing I would say is South Africa has a 28 percent vaccination rate. It's not a surprise that that's where a variant of concern is coming from. Literally, two-thirds of the country aren't vaccinated. And how do you get a variant? It sits inside of an immunocompromised person for long enough to start mutating. So we should never be shocked that there are going to be, quote, virus surprises coming from somewhere like South Africa with that low vaccination rate. If you were a seller of stocks every time something scary health-wise was coming out of Africa, no doubt. you've never been in the market. No, no doubt. But if you We've also had to have, live with this since Ebola. I understand. But if you also have a Fed at the same time, which is suggesting, yes, okay, but we're still tapering sooner than, than maybe you and the market expect, you get a reaction like you have today. What where, if? We're okay. at the lows of the I'm day as we have this up. conversation. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. What if the Fed is partly responsible for some of the inflation and not all of it is supply related? Because when you look at the conference board survey for November this morning, here's what you see. Um, you see the expectations of people that want to buy a major appliance. That's now at the lowest level since May. Um, expectation of people who want to buy a home. That's now the lowest level since 2015. 
Uh, expectation of people who want to buy a car, lowest level since October 2010. A lot of the inflationary supply-driven stuff mm-hmm. on the appliance and manufacturing side is starting to subside. And then home prices, stock prices, if those things start to mitigate, that's not actually the worst thing ever. So the Fed, I think, is giving itself the opportunity in case this Omicron is not as bad as expected to go ahead with its existing plans. I don't agree that all of a sudden everything's changed and they've switched their narrative. I just think, and I think Rick is saying this, I think they're giving themselves the latitude to do what they need to do when we actually get the data that they want of to course, see. Of course, we're right. But, but the market reacts, Rick, the way the market reacts, and then it thinks about it after the fact. But the market hears today is that, wow, you know, I, I, we're worried about this variant. The Fed chair says he's tapering earlier than, than we expected. We thought maybe that because of the uncertainty created by the new variant, that maybe it would push the taper off or at least keep it on the other schedule. Now the Fed chair comes today and says, no, we're going to do it earlier. It also, Rick, underscores the fact that there's never a good time to remove stimulus from the market, which is why you have to do it when you do it. You can't wait forever. And if they're late in the game, there's never going to be a good time to do it. There's always going to be a cause and effect of when they do it and what the reaction in the market is going to be. The markets are like children. Okay, if they don't get what they want, they throw a fit. Okay, and if you tell them something, it's like telling them a promise. Okay, if you're going to accelerate the taper, the market, like a child, is not going to forget. So if Omicron is less threatening, and I totally agree with Josh, now the chairman has to follow through to some extent. He's changed market expectations. So I think we are all sort of in agreement right now. The, the thing is, though, Steve, is that we were calling this the most telegraphed taper, arguably, ever. And as Powell was talking about the taper, the market didn't have a problem because the market knew what was coming. The market had accepted the fact that the taper was coming. Then you get hit with news of Omicron, which you think, okay, maybe that pushes the taper off. And then the Fed chair shows up today and says no. And that's the different calculus. Yeah, uh, he, he's made a change. It, it is interesting, Scott. I, I think you, you maybe gave us a yada, yada, yada there, which is you missed a little part there, which is in the prior weeks moving, leading up to, say, Thanksgiving, Several Fed officials had gone out and talked about this idea of a faster taper. You wondered during that time period, did the chair embrace it? And was it really a possibility and on the table? I was certainly moving in that direction. We had better economic growth. We had a really strong retail sales report. Looked like the consumer was doing okay. Jobs were doing well. We brought down jobless claims. Uh, The fourth quarter estimates were going up. So it did seem as if the Fed was moving that way in any event. So it wasn't like out of the blue. It is out of the blue in the context of this new Omicron right. information. And it is, I, I, I guess the best way to put it is, it's out of form for him to come forward this day, which is why I expected yesterday that at least, no, notice my reporting, Scott, just to be clear, was not that Accelerator was off the table, that they'd move the discussion to January when there was more information. Sure. And, and look, as you and suggested. Steve? Go ahead, Steph. Oh, I I was just going to say on the inflation side, if you add up wages and salaries over the last six months, it's averaged up 11.4 percent. That's a huge number. 
What is the average over over time? Three, four percent, and rents are up five percent. Yeah. The Atlanta Fed and right. the Dallas Fed both think right. that rents are going to be even faster in terms of 2023. So that's the inflation piece of it that we can't ignore because it's much more permanent, and why he is not using transitory any longer. Yeah. Well, look, we also have to yeah, take into- and, and look look at the, Steph. Steph, look at look at his comments today, and think about it even at a context of a Fed chair in the middle of a virus problem which is that he talks about wages rising at a brisk pace. All of my training covering the Fed for 20 years says a Fed chair who talks the way he did today about inflation is a Fed chair ready to put inflation in the center of policy right now. Yeah, there's the Dow. Just to remind everybody that the Fed chair continues his testimony on the Hill with the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. You've got the Dow down 600, we'll call it one and three quarters percent decline. We are we had you know, breached the, the lows of, of uh, Friday on the S&P. We're, we're continuing to watch that. NASDAQ's under pressure as well. Degas, I promise I'm going to get you in a second. I've got somebody else on the line who I want to bring into the conversation. I don't know how much time they have, so let's do it now. Fundstrat's Tom Lee is on the phone. Tom, you there? Yeah, I'm here, Scott. You know, Tom, yesterday you were out with a note, buy the dip. Today you're out with a note, buy the dip. Um, why are you so sure? Uh, I mean, days like today are, are tough because, you know, Markets don't like uncertainty, uh, you know, Omicron, and then the Fed's comments are a surprise to markets. But I, I think investors have to think about what matters more to the economy and markets in 2022. And, and you know, I think the Delta and Omicron, these viruses really only do flesh wounds to the economy. But the fact that inflation risk is cooling, and it's part of it is because of these border closures, and I think even you know Powell's comments are really cooling the inflation risk. If you look at the break-evens, they've fallen a lot. I think if inflation is less of a problem in 2022, that's actually a tailwind for markets. So I'm still in the camp that, I mean, it's unfortunate to see us make new lows, right, because we should have been just testing the lows of Friday, but we're actually breaking lows. But I'm encouraged by the fact that even though VIX is surging today, it's not even making – new highs versus Friday. So I, I, I just think markets are in a buyer strike. Uh, people are you know, waiting for the dust to settle. But if you're an investor, this is the time you want to actually be buying these shares coming out of panicked hands. So uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's awful. Like today is just horrifically bad, but I'm, I'm still in the camp that you want to buy this dip. Degas, do you agree with Tom Lee? I do agree with Tom Lee. However, you have to be selective in your buys. For instance, I sold Gentech, which is a supplier of to the vehicle and the aerospace industry, because there's weakness in outlook for the company based off labor shortages, uh, based off the uh, reduced uh, vehicle, light vehicle demand, and also high commodity costs. So I sold Gentech, but I saw another cyclical company that has a lot of things to, to control for inflation, and that's Rockwell Automation. It is focused on automation on the factory floor, and that's a great demand right now in this uh, market. So there's high demand for its product. It's very little substitutes for what Rockwell does for companies, and also it's high barriers of entry. Also, with uh, Rockwell's focus on automation, software, and also ongoing maintenance to keep that factory floor running. One of the things that uh, Rockwell was able to do is that it worked with an EV maker to retrofit a former automobile factory. So Rockwell, cyclical company, 
you have to be selective with where you're placing your buys at this point. Hey, Tom Lee, um, you know, yesterday when you urged people to buy the dip, and that was your note yesterday, um, based on in part at least what the VIX was, was doing and, and what you thought it might be signaling, was any part of that based on a belief that this news about Omicron was going to push the taper either off or certainly eliminate the prospect of it being moved up? Um, Scott, I, I think a part of our view is that the liftoff in terms of formal rate hikes was going to get pushed off. You know, that's something even today we're seeing the probability of Fed hikes in 2022 actually falling. So I know the market doesn't actually disconnect taper and liftoff, but uh, I, I, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I, I obviously can't tell the market what to do, but when I look at what impacts markets, to me, it's really about Fed hikes. Those are getting pushed off, and especially because as we look into 2022, the inflation risks are really cooling. I mean, even like port activity is showing some big declines, and as many know, two percentage points of the increase in inflation this year is actually auto-related. It's used cars and, and new car purchases. So, uh, the hike is, I, I, it is a surprise, right? Uh, because I, in my mind, I do connect the two, but, but it is, you know, taper is separate from the hikes. Under, understood. But if, if the Fed chair, as he did today, says, no, we're going to talk about it in, in December, that it's not going to be put off to January, that doesn't change your calculus at all? Because, I, you know, that's why I asked you the first question I did. And I also note yeah. that your note today came out before the Fed chair's testimony of today. That's right. Um, I, I mean, this is, you know, it is a surprise to markets. It's a surprise to me, but in some ways it is Powell, you know, both catching up to his members, but also just acknowledging that, you know, we're not going to see a peak in, in these inflationary pressures in the next month or so. So it's a question of whether or not he'd lose sort of the, the public rhetoric against this. But I don't think that this means that we're intractably setting up for higher levels of inflation of, you know, I, I don't know what, let's say, consensus is, you know, 4 or 5%. I mean, even the inflation break-evens markets is down towards the 2.3%. So inflation risk is cooling. I think that's actually more important for how markets behave in the next month, even two months, even if today's a knee-jerk reaction to that. Yeah, look, and we, we keep blowing past the other comment that the Fed chair made, which may have had an impact or is, is still having an impact on the market, and that is saying that you can remove the word transitory from the inflation conversation, whether he meant it as literal as some, at least the market may have taken it, that remains to be seen. Steve Leisman, you want to you want to jump in and and clarify something that Tom Lee had to say? Yeah, just just real quick. Yeah, uh, uh, we went. Tom is right to a point on on the probabilities of uh, Fed fund probabilities. We were at 60 percent for May. In other words, we had baked that hike in. Then we went down uh, through uh, Friday and Monday down into the 25, 30% range. We're now back up. I just want Tom to be aware of that into the 47% range where we're, 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 we're thinking about it again after Powell says faster taper. I don't know if Brianna's listening, but you have a chart for me I've just created. I doubt it's possible to get it up now, but I just did the calculation, Scott. Essentially, if we double the pace of taper, They'll be done in February, and that means March, April, May would be on the table. If they go to 25, they're done uh, around April. So uh, that's when the 
if the Fed sticks to form and says, hey, we're going to get rid of the, the purchases first, then we'll hike, that's the possibility. If they double it, you could be in March or you could be in April. Uh, if you go up to 2025, you're talking about a May possibility. But that, that probability, Scott, is back up into the 47 percent, 50 percent range after Powell's oh, comments today. I, I, I got you. Okay. Uh, could I just... Yeah, I, yeah, real brief Steve, time. If I you might could. have a different metric, but on the Bloomberg implied probabilities, it's still at 26% for a May hike. Hmm. Sure. All right. I'm looking at the riff. Tom, I appreciate you coming to the phone uh, on a moment's notice. Uh, we greatly Great. appreciate your time there. <clears throat> Rick Santelli, you have a last quick word. I feel like I owe you, I owe you one. Well, real quickly, hopefully we can show a December of 22 Fed funds. Listen, the probabilities, there's a million ways to calculate these things. Let's keep it simple. On Wednesday, we were at 99.28 close and D's 22, which basically means 322 quarter point tightenings. Okay? If we look at where it is now, right around 99.40, it's way down from where it was. The fact that it's selling off puts the probabilities back in. And very generically, since it's under 99.50, it's looking for a total of two baked in for 22, working on a third. Exactly how it pops in doesn't matter. That's a good chart. And the other thing is, everybody's worried about inflation. I get it. But in 2008, the Bush administration left us with $800 billion in money out there. That's what the money supply was. Now it's $2.4 trillion. The Dow in 08 was at 10000 Now it's at 34000 If you do the math... Uh, listen, maybe inflation isn't the worst thing if you're holding stocks. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think that's uh, uh, bore itself out. Uh, all right, Rick, thank you so much. Steve, thanks to you uh, as well. Josh Brown, I guess the best case scenario in all of this is that this whole thing is a scare, uh, that the worst of Omicron is not realized, that the Fed can taper and that all's good. Well, we had a we had a three percent sell off that took place over the course of six days in July when it became apparent that Delta was going to be a worldwide issue. What didn't end up happening was really any significant change in either the death or the hospitalization rate. And in fact, what we ended up learning later that summer was that the existing vaccines were plenty effective, both in terms of fighting off the infection or preserving people's lives who got the infection. We don't have any of that information yet with this new strain. And I think if you're an, uh, an investor and not a scientist or a doctor or somebody who's in the midst of working on these viruses, you should not be drastically altering your portfolio as though you know which direction this is going to go. It's entirely possible that this is a more transmissible version than Delta, but doesn't have a significant difference in terms of its impact on the people who get it. And if that's what ends up happening, I got to tell you, I don't think that's going to lead to this mass hunkering down. Talk to people on the street. Nobody's going back to 2020. They tried to introduce curfews in Amsterdam. These are Europeans. They almost burned the damn city to the ground. So I would not have as your expectation that here we go again, going back into lockdown. No one's doing it. All right. No one's going along with it. So, so, so if you're thinking that way, and I think most people are, this is an uncertainty bout that makes sense. Stocks should be down right now. People should be concerned. I don't think it has to spill over into a disaster. All right. So let's do this. Let's take a break. I've got unusual activity with Dr. J still to come. We have some more moves from the committee to get through as well. I've got calls on Boeing. Stephanie Link owns that. 
I've got a call on Square. Dr. J is making a move, perhaps related to that. I've got a call on Ford. We'll hit that too. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. New York City has authorized safe sites for drug users to inject heroin and other narcotics in an attempt to curb overdoses. New York City, the first city in the nation to approve such sites, although they already exist in Canada, Australia and Europe. And on the news, will New York's initiative help or hurt the battle to reduce drug abuse? That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Jury selection has begun for the Minnesota police officer charged with killing Dante Wright. Kim Potter says that she meant to use her taser instead of her gun when she shot Wright during a traffic stop in April. And in New York, a longtime pilot of Jeffrey Epstein has resumed his testimony at the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. The pilot says that Maxwell was second only to Epstein and Epstein's operation to find teenage girls to sexually abuse. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate that, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about those calls I mentioned before we went to break. Number one is Boeing. Reiterated a top idea, Wells Fargo. The target, 272. Steph, it's been tough owning this thing. So I'm curious as to why you still do. Absolutely. Because <laughs> it's cheap. It has a free cash flow yield of 7%, and they're going to generate about $11 billion in free cash flow by 2024. The catalyst for that is the China certification of the 737 MAX, which I think is very important. A third of the 737 MAX in inventory are for Chinese companies. So this is a very big announcement when it comes, and I think it's coming soon. It's a reopen, though, name, um, Scott. So on days where you think we're going to reopen fully and we're not going to have closures and we don't have problems with vaccines and we don't have problems with, with COVID strains, you know, it, it, it's going to trade on that, right? That's why it's so volatile, but I do think there's value there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a can't get out of their own way stock, too. All right, all, all things were equal. You take the, the pandemic out of it. OK, sure, the, the stock would probably be higher than where it is now. But the company keeps shooting itself in the foot. Restructurings take time. Remember GE and how long that took. But then it really did pay off. So I'm just looking for a long term opportunity. Staying patient. I have it right sized. Um, but I do think you'll make money in the next year or, or 18 months. GE's paying off already. Well, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But we'll talk about that, that later. Like, 
It yeah. was up 70 percent. I mean, that story is far from over. I think we can both agree on that. All right. Square upgraded to neutral yes, Bank absolutely. of America. Uh, all right. Let's talk about this, Degas, because you own Square. Part of this note is on the fact that Dorsey's out at Twitter. So theoretically, he has more time to focus on Square um, if, in fact, he's focusing on anything other than Bitcoin and whatever else these days. What do you think about this? Yeah, so anytime as an investor, I have a CEO that's more focused on the company that I own, that's a positive. However, the uh, Square is having some challenges, and those challenges around, can they really focus on improving profitability? And that's, and also the increasing competition. A lot of people are moving into this space, so can Square distinguish itself and actually uh, have a great implementation plan? That's what I'm looking from Jack Dorsey to really focus and do. And so right now we have about a market perform on this company. Uh, we don't have a full position in it, but we're really continuing to watch Square. All right. So, Doc, you own Square Calls. And what I find more interesting, I think, for today's news is that you bought PayPal shares and calls. Yeah, um, I agree with Degas's comments on Square. Um, and I think that this is one that's going to... Uh, do much better, Scott, with Dorsey's focus. And you mentioned, uh, of course, his fascination and commitment to Bitcoin and cryptos. I think that's another driver here. As far as PayPal, everybody seemed pretty bulled up after the earnings. It popped in the after hours after that Venmo statement, Scott. Uh, but then the guidance was really what knocked it down. And people were still buying it at about 205. And I thought that was still too rich. I was uh, getting into it pretty aggressively today um, from 186 and 182 today. I've been buying PayPal, both stock and setting myself up with upside calls about three months out into the future, Scott. So I do think the, the future is bright for PayPal. And I think after this, what, 30 or more percent sell off from its highs, not just in the last couple of weeks, but from the highs that it, uh, you're buying it at, I think, a great value here. And Venmo um, is going to be something uh, that does give Jack some fits, but I think Jack over at Square can deal with it. We're talking about calls that you have, Doc. What would you make of this uh, Adam Jonas thing on Ford today? I mean, you have Ford calls, too. Uh, so he reiterates underweight mm -hmm. uh, Morgan Stanley, target 12 bucks. He, he'd be the first, and I think, in fact, he did last week, tell you that he missed it um, because he had downgraded Ford in January of 21. Um, stock is absolutely ripped. Kramer thinks it can still go higher. I think it's, yep. up, I think it's like 120% gain this year. I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but I thought that's what I, 112% over a year. Kramer says more to go. Jonas reiterates underweight. What do you say? Um, I don't know how you underweight them, Scott, with those uh, lightnings just rolling out now. And I don't think you fade GM for the same reason um, with their electrified vehicles. Um, I think that is the time where you want to be riding that wave in there. So I agree with Jim Cramer. Um, Jonas, I understand, you know, he's probably more focused. And I read the, uh, the note, Scott, that he talked more about the legacy expenses that they have. Both those companies, as well as Chrysler, um, have significant uh, uh, legacy costs from the pensions to many of the other deals that they've cut over the years that Rivian and Lucid and Fisker and Tesla and a host of others do not have. But that doesn't mean that they can't just really get an exciting product out there that everybody wants. And, uh, you know, whether it's the Bronco or the Lightning, I think both those are good reasons 
to stick with Ford. All right. We will take a quick break. We're going to come back. We have John's unusual activity on the other side. A big sell-off for stocks today. The S&P 500, the Dow, and the Nasdaq, all under significant pressure this hour. We're back right after this. Nissan announcing this week a $17.6 billion investment in electric vehicles over the next five years. The automaker looks to roll out 23 new electrified models and targets a 50% electrification mix by 2030. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I want to show you the markets again. Dow down just about 600 points. S&P 500 down 74 and a half that's one and two thirds percent, 4580. The Nasdaq is down by a similar amount. That's 260 points. Also want to flag something. There's a White House briefing going on right now uh, related to COVID. Our Meg Terrell flagging a comment from Dr. Fauci, who says there have been 226 cases of the Omicron uh, variant detected in 20 countries so far. None yet in the United States, though. Um, I think you would have to assume that it's a matter of when not if. Uh, so we'll wait for that. But that's the latest coming out of the briefing there, according to our Meg Terrell, who just tweeted that a few seconds ago. Doc, you have unusual activity? Indeed, Scott. Uh, and today's an unusual day, right? Uh, 600 points in the Dow. Uh, energy stocks are down. They are buying Devon Energy, DVN today, Scott. The January 46 calls with the stock right uh, just under $42. So these are $4 out-of-the-money calls. I'll probably be in those about four weeks. Second one, Kraft Heinz. This is a December 34 call, not as far out of the money, just out of the money. But those D's 34s, 10,000-plus of those bought, Scott, I'll probably be in those about two to three weeks. Lastly, um, and this was one that I just exited uh, the other day, CRM, Salesforce. I know they have earnings after the bell tonight. CRM, they're showing big buying in the January 280 puts. So in other words, after it touched right up there against 300, Scott, um, it's been bleeding off since then with the stock down here. 
they're buying the 280 puts thinking that maybe even after expiration, after uh, earnings, it dives further. I'm in those puts right now, Scott. Right. Well, I appreciate that update, Doc. Thank you very much. Crude oil hitting a three-month low on fears about that new variant. Jim Cramer's charitable trust is buying a big oil stock in today's sell-off. We're going to tell you that move and debate it next. I want to remind you as well, Kathy Wood, she's on Pro Talks tomorrow at 10 a.m. with Sarah Eisen. Boy, ARC's had a tough month. Uh, so what a great time to hear from Kathy Wood, December 1st, tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Hear about all of that. Uh, it's your chance to ask questions directly to Kathy Wood as well. You can sign up at CNBC.com slash pro. Don't miss that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Ilan Mui from Capitol Hill with some breaking news. Senator Sherrod Brown has just confirmed to me that he is talking to the White House about potentially nominating Richard Cordray as the Fed's vice chair for supervision. Now, Senator Brown is, of course, the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, responsible for shepherding that nomination to the Senate floor. He said that he knows Cordray from Cordray's days as director of the CFPB, but that he is also talking to the White House about several other names as well, for the Fed's three open seats. Of course, both men are from Ohio, so it is likely that Cordray would receive the support of Senator Brown. But again, Scott, Senator Brown confirming that Richard Cordray is in the mix as a potential nominee for the Fed's vice chair of supervision. Back right. over to you. Right. Alan, appreciate that update. Thank you very much. We'll step away. We'll come back with final trades next. All right, welcome back. Take a look at Chevron, showing you that because it is a new buy for Jim Cramer in the CNBC Investing Club. Stephanie Link, you own this. No big surprise then that Jim buys it. He says, <laughs> after you receive this note, we will be initiating a position in Chevron buying 350 shares at roughly $114.56. Following the trade, Chevron will represent a roughly 1% of the charitable trust. By the way, Kramer's going to join us tomorrow for the hour right here on the Halftime Report. Excited about that. Steph? I think he should buy more. I mean, this is, this is quality assets. They've done a great job in M&A and asset sales. They've done a good job on cost controls. They're lowering their CapEx. Free cash flow is higher than expected. They're buying back stock. They have a 4.7% dividend yield. And I scratched my head why this thing has actually lagged Exxon year to date by 10%. Trades at nine times EBITDA. Quality company. And yeah, on the pullbacks, I would absolutely be adding to it. It's a very big position for me. You, you with us tomorrow, too? I am. All right, good. Looking you forward to it. You can tell Jim to his face that he should buy more. I'll, I'll look forward to that. We'll talk about it then. I, All right, let's do, final, <laughs> let's do final trade. Steph, why don't you give me one while you're at it? Uh, United Healthcare, they had an analyst day today. They reiterated their guidance for 2022. So numbers are de-risked. High-quality company on pullbacks. You want to buy this stock. Okay, good stuff. Degas? In phase energy, leading energy technology company focused on solar panels and storage solutions. Okay, Josh Brown? Uh, Amazon. I think your risk here is boredom. When it breaks 3,600, I think there could be very big upside. All right. The doc. Sounds like good boring to me, Josh. Um, I would go with yep. uh, Cliffs <laughs> right here. CLF, Scott. I like the upside. 
Um, I like the infrastructure play. CLF, I bought more calls today. All right, we've got about 15 seconds left. I'll show you stocks. I just saw the Dow's down about 633 points. Some comments today from the Fed chair in that testimony on Capitol Hill, uh, certainly helping this sell-off along today. All of the major averages under significant pressure this hour. Appreciate you watching this show. It does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.